0: So yeah, Bridget and Phil, thank you. And Steve on the words and Chris on the sound. So we've been, in our evening services, we've been following um, right through the book of Isaiah. Someone asked me today um, whether we've just been picking our, uh, just the favorite bits of it. And I said, no, we've been going right through. Sometimes we've taken a bigger chunk than others, but um, uh, for obvious reasons when we've got to them. But we're up to chapter 53, and uh, not 57, as I read this morning, and um, we will get there. I should have said this morning, come to our evening services because we'll get to chapter 57. I'm planning to be away that week, but it sounded a very interesting passage that I read this morning. And I began this passage last week. It's part of the servant songs in Isaiah. There are four songs that uh, Isaiah um, prophesies uh, through these chapters of the middle part of his prophecy. And this is the fourth song. And um, the message translates one of the verses as this. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? So we're going to pick up the reading from chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you For your word, and we thank you for Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus was born, yet you spoke through him so clearly about the coming of the Savior. And we pray that as we read what may be for some of us familiar words, we pray that we will once again stand in awe of what they mean. We worship you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for the revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I said last week as we started through this passage that I wanted to take it slowly and take it in two parts uh, because I believe it is just the most astonishing passage of Scripture. I believe it's holy ground that we tread as we read it. Elizabeth um, Browning said, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. And for some, this passage would mean nothing. But for us, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, it means everything to us because it speaks of the amazing love of Jesus And his sacrifice. So in part one of the song we looked. I was trying to look at the identity of the servant. For Jews even Jews today. uh, They would say that it's about Israel. But we have come to believe that it is about the true perfect Israel. The savior of the world. Whose name is Jesus. And the reasons why we believe that is because as we read it, we sense in our spirit that this is all about Jesus. But when we read the New Testament, we find the New Testament writers referring to this passage a lot. And even Jesus, in Luke 22, there's a verse in verse 37, when he refers to this passage and refers to himself. This is written about me. It was written, he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, this, what is written about me, is reaching its fulfillment. And then the early church certainly believed it was about Jesus. There's a wonderful passage in Acts chapter 8, where Philip comes alongside an Ethiopian, and if we can have that. I wanted to read it to you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on the, his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So part one is the who, and we believe it's Jesus. So part two is the what and the why. If you've ever wondered whether you matter to God, if you've ever wondered whether God cares for you, this passage will tell you how much you matter to God, how much he cares about you. Because it is about all that God has done for us. The first century Jewish leaders around the time of Jesus who rejected Jesus would have found this song confusing. They knew it was about God's salvation, but they didn't understand it because it didn't sound like their idea of Messiah that they'd built up in their hearts and their minds. They were hoping for a great king. Well, yeah, he's a great king. A perfect priest, again, he was standing right in front of them. A mighty warrior, someone who would drive out the Romans before them and restore Israel to its proper place. And They could not understand this song about a suffering servant, the Messiah. Although the song begins and ends with exaltation and honor, as the prophet describes it, it comes through suffering. So we've picked up the song in verse four, the why. It addresses mankind's greatest need. The greatest problem facing the whole of humanity is addressed in this passage. It's not Brexit, it's not global warming. It is not terrorism or extremism of any kind. It's sin. Not a popular word, not a big word. But that's what it is about. And sin is the greatest problem that faces humanity. Not only sin, which is falling short of the glory of God, meaning that none of us come up to God's standards, none of us can be good enough for God, Because that sounds like bad news. It gets even worse because throughout the scriptures, it describes God's response to sin. He hates it. And he can't have sin in himself. And he can't have a relationship with sinful people Because of that fact that he is holy. And heaven can't have sin in it. So if he wants a relationship with those who created, which is clearly portrayed in the Bible. And if he wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven, he has to deal with this problem that humanity has. First century religious leaders, when they saw Jesus crucified, as they pushed for it, as they shouted for it, when they saw him on the cross, they believed that he was cursed. Because it says it in their law. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23, anyone who is hung on a tree or a pole is under God's curse. They considered him stricken by God, which is what Isaiah prophesies. And they were partially right. But not his sin. Their sin. Our sin. The world's sin. I've even been asked this week, why do we make so much of the cross as Christians? It's because it answers that fundamental problem that we have. We cannot get right with a holy God by our own merit. We cannot get right by our own goodness, by our own performance. That ends up being religion and it doesn't have any assurance in it. Study all of the world religions. There's no assurance that we are loved, that we are saved, that we are rescued, It's only through Jesus that we receive that. And Isaiah continues to sing of this amazing truth. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He took our pain, bore our suffering. He was crushed for our iniquities, our wickedness. In this we see that God comes to deal with sin himself. The Messiah comes to bear sin. To bring us peace with God. And through this there is forgiveness and peace and pardon and wholeness. And at one with God. Which is atonement. And so much, if you read of Paul's theology, is fleshing out what he has discovered from the prophet Isaiah. Because there was a time when he would not have seen Jesus in that passage, and he was blind and he could not see. But when he met with Jesus, his eyes were opened literally because he was made blind. Paul writes in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Peter, one of the disciples, as he writes in 1 Peter, he says, Jesus bore our sins on the cross. The early church was so clear of what Jesus had done on the cross. They'd had that revelation from the Holy Spirit. That Jesus had gone willingly to the cross for us. And we are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And they would sing songs about that. And we still do. Jesus took our punishment for sin. And by his wounds, we are saved. And we are healed. And it's the same word. You know that, don't you? To save and to heal, sozo. So. Peter comments on that. By his wounds we are healed, we are saved. Isaiah speaks of crucifixion long before it was ever invented. Crucifixion as a form of death was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. And then abolished by the Romans because it was such a cruel way of killing people. And then Isaiah talks in verses 7 to 9 about a substitution that takes place. And he uses a powerful image from the Jewish sacrificial system and the temple worship. The daily sacrifice of an innocent, spotless lamb who was sacrificed for the sin of the people. In the Old Testament, it was the shedding of that blood and the sense of a transference of our sin through that sacrifice being forgiven. On the Day of Atonement, They would get a scapegoat and the priest would put his hands on this goat. And he would pray all the sins of God's people upon the goat and they would send the goat out into the wilderness where it would die. And Isaiah in this prophecy speaks about the Savior who comes in that same way as a sacrifice an innocent, spotless lamb, sacrificed for the sins of the people. Twice in verse 7, it says, he did not open his mouth. Four times in the Gospels, it makes reference to the silence of Jesus before those who put him on trial, before his enemies, his accusers, high priest, Pilate, Herod, Pilate again. Jesus didn't defend himself didn't open his mouth. He could have done. Jesus could have run rings around the rabbis. He ran rings around them when he was 12. But he did not open his mouth. He went through it all willingly. The brutality of it all. The suffering of it all. The pain of it all. And in Hebrews, the writer, thinking of Jesus and the cross, describes it who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And it was shameful to be hung on a cross, to be stripped naked, brutalized, nailed to wooden beams. And Jesus does it for us. And that's why we stand in awe. And that we will, like Paul and Peter and others, never get over the fact that Jesus died for us. And that's why the cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. It's why it always will be. It will never be taken down. We know Jesus conquered death. We know that's true. But he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And he accepted the injustice of it all. But in verse 10, he leads us to see that God's justice is in it all. And lots of people, Christians, have had trouble with this verse, particularly. Because in some translations, it just doesn't say, and it was the Lord's will to crush him. Other translations have it, it was the Lord's pleasure to crush him. And some people have written books about this equates to child abuse. And one fundamental fact that they... Forget about Jesus is that He is God. That the Father and Jesus are one with the Holy Spirit. The mystery of the Trinity. But it's not the Father or God punishing the Son. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together giving themselves for humanity that we might have salvation. That the whole world might be rescued. God the Son becomes the focal point between God's justice and his grace. There has to be justice in this world. We all cry out for it. There's not, you know, none of us who will watch something on the television or hear of some atrocity and we want justice to be done. And there will be. Justice will be done. And justice was done on the cross because Jesus takes the punishment and the suffering of a broken and lost humanity. But we also have to understand he takes it for a broken and lost me and a broken and lost you. And he suffers for us. these are some of the clearest explanations of the cross found in the Old Testament. And it describes the Messiah's death as Asham, a guilt offering, an offering for sin. Then from verse 11, it describes that death is not the end. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. It speaks of the resurrection. He will see the light of life. And Paul will write in Philippians, Therefore God exalted who? Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, God. Crowned with glory and honor, his weakness will turn to strength, his shame will turn to honor, his defeat will turn to victory. And through the whole theology of the Old Testament, what Adam lost in Christ, what Adam lost from the beginning, Christ restores. What humanity lost through its rebellion against God, Jesus restores. And the song ends with the rejoicing as the servant is exalted. The who is Jesus. The what and the why is that God comes to save and rescue. And he does it by laying down his own life for us. We get glimpses of that. We understand that sacrifice. I tell a story on Alpha about um, Ernest Gordon's book, The Bridge Over the River Kwai*. And, you know, they were building the railways, prisoners of war. And they were in squads of ten people. And on this one occasion, the the squad was gathered together. And the person in charge of that squad asked for the shovels to be gathered together and handed in. And there were only nine shovels. And so he ordered on the spot that the person who's lost the shovel to own up for it. And after a time, this one man stands forward and owns up to the lost shovel. And there on the spot, he's killed in front of the other prisoners. The reason why he did that was because the guard said that if no one owned up, he would shoot all ten of them. When they got to camp... And they got off and they took his body off and they counted the shovels. There were 10 all along. The guard had just miscounted. And in that just one picture, we see amazing sacrifice. And you could think of other stories, descriptions, but magnify that and magnify that and magnify that and magnify that and magnify that. that. And Jesus takes our place and our sin upon himself that we might be forgiven and restored and have a relationship with God that is assured. No longer do we ever have to say, does God really love me? Because we know he loves us. No longer do we ever have to say, do I matter to God? Because this is how much I matter to God, that Jesus died on the cross for me, for you. And whether in this life we have a trouble-free life and no suffering or pain, or whether we have, like everybody else, the ups and downs and the pains and the sufferings, there is nothing that we can go through in this life that will take away what Jesus has done for us. And so when we come to a passage like this, We just need to stand in awe again and say thank you. And we're going to do that as we share the bread and the cup together, as we remember that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he talked about his death to come. The Apostle Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He also writes in 1 Corinthians that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And as we, as a church, embark on on uh, this week of mission activities and run up to Easter with more invitational events, there may be some who think we're foolish, and there may, may be some who don't understand our message. But there will be some who believe and are saved. Convinced about that. As Isaiah puts it in this song, who has believed our message? Well, we have. And we rejoice in it. Amen. Let's pray together.